Well, thank you, Mel, for that introduction. Well, it's great to see you again. Um, yes, indeed, as Mel said, we are in a series entitled His Story, Our Living Hope. You see, we find that we are part of his story, that he has plans and purposes, not just for our own individual lives, but indeed the whole of creation. And so we have been looking in his story about what God has to say about the times that we are in. And we're going to be focusing on the times that are coming up because you see, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And uh, I want us in this series to spend time understanding what God has to say to encourage us, to equip us, and to get our eyes focused and fixed on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is our living hope. And you know, if you missed the past previous talks, the first talk, I gave an overview of uh, the series and looked at the subject of biblical prophecy and why it's so important, and I gave some reasons for that. Uh, the last week, I gave a talk uh, looking at the question, does God understand? Does he know what's going on right now? Is it part of his story? Uh, and therefore, how do we respond? And can I just say thank you for all for your very kind and encouraging emails and comments and messages. I'm glad it has been a blessing you. And you know, I've got to say that his story, can I just say, is a love story written to you and I. It's a story of God's redemptive plan, God's rescue mission to mankind, fulfilled through his son, Jesus. It is just such a wonderful love story. And part of this series, I just want you to get you loving the word and excited about this story and getting into your Bible and hearing what God has to say to you about uh, the hope that can be found in Jesus. Well, where were we at this week where we are looking at an upcoming biblical event, an upcoming event in God's timeline called the rapture. Now, interestingly enough, I've had some conversations with some of you of late on this subject and it garners uh, a very varied response. Some are, oh yeah, I know what the rapture is. Some say, I've got no idea what that is. Um, it was, of course, made popular by a, <clears throat> a, a book series uh, quite a while ago now, maybe a couple of decades called Left Behind. Uh, some of you have recalled that to me, and there's always the question, uh, do you mean pre-tribulation, rapture, or post? Well, we'll come to all of that. But all of that to say, it is actually a subject that there is much confusion surrounding it. And actually, there doesn't need to be, because the Bible has a lot of clear things to say about it. And let me also say, and I mentioned this, uh, Richard and I, earlier on the service, you know, so much... Uh, about this subject online, whether it's on YouTube or wherever, and so much misinformation. And so, you know, I just want to show you the, the clear word of God on this so that I can clearly teach you and equip you and protect you from a lot of that uh, stuff out there. And equally, a lot of those date setters, be careful. No man knows the day or the hour. You know, we don't set dates. We can see the seasons that we live in, but uh, let me just warn you now, don't follow these date setters that will set dates. And so what we're going to do this morning, I'm extremely excited uh, about this talk. I've been looking forward to getting to this part in our series. And, and may I just say that I've written this series in such a way that I do unpack it part by part in an order. So, you know, if you have missed the first and second talk, then do catch up. You can do so on our website. So what I want to do this morning, uh, first, I want to look at the facts 
about this event as it's presented in the scriptures and see how it's part of his story. Secondly, and I'm just so excited about this piece, is just to show you how the rapture of the church reveals, so beautifully reveals, the love that Jesus has for you and I, his church, his bride. And it's just such a beautiful revelation. You know, I said that prophecy always reveals Jesus. It always points to Jesus. You know, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation points to Jesus. And then lastly, I want to look at the question, and I mentioned it earlier, of how this fits into the end time events. um, And we'll look at that as well. So let's start then uh, looking at... um, and understanding and getting an understanding of what the rapture is. And, you know, there are two key verses I want us to look at. The first is the letter that Paul writes um, to the church in Thessalonica. And as I said a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, interestingly enough, this is the first epistle that he wrote. And what we are going to do is we're going to look together at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Have you got your Bibles with you? If not, be on the screen. Um, and by the way, I'm going to there's going to be quite a bit of scripture this morning. I'm sure you'll agree that's no bad thing. Uh, you might want to make notes. And equally, you can watch this again uh, later uh, if you want to go through it. But let's turn together and let me read this and then let's see what this says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Isn't it interesting? I'll just stop there. Uninformed. You know, God wants us to be informed about what happens. As I said last week, he hasn't left us guessing and wondering you know, and making stuff up, it is in his word, about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. We do have a living hope. For we believe, listen to this, this is the gospel message, isn't it? That Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died believing in Jesus. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now listen to this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore, in light of all of this, given all of that I've said, encourage one another with those words. This is meant to encourage us. So what can we see? from this scripture before we look at the next uh, scriptural reference. Well, the first thing is that we read here, we will be caught up. Now, many people say, well, can you show me where it says rapture in the Bible? That's a fair question. Well, actually, you see, the Greek word for caught up is the Greek word harpazo. And when they translated the Bible into Latin, they used, they translated that word to rapturo. That is a Latin word. And then we translate that into English as rapture. You see, rapture means caught up. Now, the, the essence of harpazo, or caught up, is a snatching away. It's like, it's like when I'm playing with the kiddies, uh, and, and I'll run up and grab them and lift them and, and take them hastily, quickly, to receive them to myself. That is 
what this means. It's a snatching away. Um, and what else we see by this? This is really interesting. After that, we who are still alive and are left, you know, there will be a generation who will never die. Did you know that? I don't know about you, but I want to be that generation. <laughs> I don't want a funeral. Uh, you know, my kids, um, as some of you know, I have three beautiful kiddies, uh, and they have watched Horrible Histories, the BBC thing. I'm sure some of you parents will uh, know what that is, and it's a really fantastic, comedic kids program where they show uh, history of the world in, you know, whether it be the Stuarts or the Vikings or the Romans or whatever. And there's a segment called um, Stupid Deaths. I know it sounds silly, doesn't it? And uh, they have famous people who kind of report how they died. Well, I'll tell you something. When I get to heaven, I, you know, people say, well, how did you die? I'll be like, well, I, I didn't. I was raptured. I was caught up. There will be a generation that doesn't die. And, um, and those who have died before those that are alive be raptured will also be caught away to receive their new glorified bodies. What does that mean, Mark? Well, those that are currently sleeping with the Lord or dead in Christ are with the Lord in heaven, but yet to receive their new glorified bodies. And by the way, in a, in a, near the end of this series, we're going to look at uh, the very end of Revelation when look, the Lord talks about the new heaven and new earth and how we live with him for eternity. That is going to be so exciting. Uh, now, at this point, some of you might be switching off or some of you might be staring at me thinking, are you kidding me, Mark? Aren't you just describing some kind of crazy sci-fi movie? Pfft. I can't believe that. What? In the clouds? with the Give over. Hey, I, I get it. It's a strange concept to us, isn't it? It sounds almost fanciful, but, you know, this is one of the problems we have with our westernized, material, unspiritual worldview is that these things just don't happen. What can I just say to you at this point? If, if you're making a choice to get the metaphorical red pen out and cross it out because we just don't believe it, then I'm afraid you're going to have to cross out a lot of the Bible. I mean, what about parting the Dead Sea? Could you see that happening? What about Enoch? Enoch was taken away. Did you know that? He was, and then he was translated. He was raptured. We read that in the Old Testament. But what about Jesus? He actually rose again. Did you know that? And you see, if you go down that path of agreeing with the Bible only when it makes sense to you, then that's the danger of liberal theology. And all of a sudden, you move from taking the word of God as God's word, his... Um, God breathe word and, and you start questioning it. And what happens is you become the deciding factor on whether it's God's word or not. Let's not get to that place. As I said at the start of this series, we take the word of God as God breathed, inerrant word without error. And so this is what it says. And we might not completely understand it, but there is going to be a biblical event where we are caught away. Now, let me read you another scripture. You see, Paul writes about this again in, in the letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 53. Let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 53. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, we need to be born again of the Spirit. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. You see, it is, it is a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the 
twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. There's the trumpet again. He talked about it in 1 Thessalonians. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, okay? And then we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. There again, he talks about it. Now, did you see here a wonderful phrase, a twinkling of an eye? You wonder what a twinkling of an eye is. Well, it's the, it's the moment. You know when light reflects off someone's eye? Oh, you know. Well, guess how quick that is? Well, of course, as you would expect, I've done some research on that piece. <laughs> and it is one billionth of a second. A billionth of a second. Wow. It's like that. You know, you could be brushing your teeth one day and then you're in the Lord's presence. No time to floss. <laughs> It's not like we'll be like, oh, okay, I think we're going to be going up with the clouds. This is nice. I'm floating. No, no. Oh, dear, I'm in the car. What about the roof? No, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but there's something in that that so excites me. That at the end time, and we're going to see in the moment that it occurs before the tribulation, before the world goes through the, the seven years of tribulation. We're going to look at that next week. Those that remain will be in a twinkling of an eye to be with the Lord. Now, at this point, having established the facts, I want to look at the second part, which is how, and I said this at the start, it reveals Jesus' love for us. Now, this is so beautiful. You see, things with things such as the rapture, what happens, we read it and we go, oh, I don't understand that, it doesn't make sense. But actually, if we were to push in and say, Lord, what are you saying here? We'd find that it is something so beautiful. Let's read John 14, 1 to 3. And then we're going to understand then how it, ref- how it reveals the, the Jesus' love for us. It says this in John 14, 1 to 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house, listen to this, has many rooms. You've probably heard this before. If that were not so, who I... Uh, so, would I have told you that I'm going there, listen, to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you. The Greek word take you is parabolio, which means to receive you unto myself, to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Isn't that just so beautiful? Now, Listen, when they would have heard Jesus' words and he said, I will receive you to myself and prepare a place for you in my father's house, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. Why do I say that? Because it so beautifully talks about the process of a Jewish wedding. Now, listen to this. I want to talk about the Jewish wedding and how it absolutely matches the moment where Jesus receives us and receives us to himself. The first thing that we look at in a Jewish wedding is the betrothal. This is what happens in a Jewish wedding in, in, in those times. The groom would leave his father's house, listen to this, his home, and go to the bride with a dowry, a price to be paid for her, and they would make a covenant. They were legally bound together at that point. It wasn't consummated yet. And what I love about this is that even though it was arranged by the father, did you know the bride had a choice? 
For God so loved the world that he sent his only son from his heavenly home so that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, by the shedding of Jesus' blood, he paid the price for you and I. A covenantal relationship was made possible because Jesus paid the dowry by his own blood. Isn't that so beautiful? But let's move on. What would they do next? They would then, the bride and the groom, have a glass of wine together, which sealed the covenant. Can you believe this? I love it. Not only did Jesus shed his blood to pay the price, but on the last supper, he said, take this wine and drink in remembrance of me and drink in remembrance of the fact that I shed my blood for you. And then Jesus said, I will not drink this again until I do so in my father's house. But let's continue. It gets even more amazing than that. Number three, what would happen then? Well, the groom would then leave and go back to the father's house. Why? Because he would go to his father's house and build a place for them there. Where it's called the, the hooper, the bridal chamber. Can you believe this? <laughs> he would go for about a year and prepare a place for you where he would receive his bride. And uh, after he had finished, what would happen is, you see, the father would examine it. And then he would tell the groom when to go back to get his bride. And no one knew, not even the groom. Did you know this? Isn't this beautiful? What did Jesus say? No one knows the day or the hour other than the father. And it would be typically in the middle of the night, the groom would go and get his bride. Now, what would happen next? I'll move on to the fourth point. The groom would go to get his bride. How would he do so? Well, he and his entourage would go through the streets, blowing the trumpets and saying, the bridegroom is coming, shouting. Well, what did we read here? What did we read here earlier? Well, then Jesus would come with the last trumpet and the shout. <laughs> Why? Because he's coming for his bride. And then we move on. The bride, number five, would always be ready. Because she didn't know when. But she expected his return. In fact, it's said that what they would do is sleep in their wedding gown at night, just in case he arrives. And she would keep a lamp lit ready any time. What was Jesus' own words in the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25? Be ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. And then lastly, the groom would take the bride to the father's house where he had prepared a place for them. Do you know how they did that? The bride would sit on a type of chair and she would be lifted up into the air and carried the rest of the way. I wish you were here with me. This is the point we go, wow, hallelujah. Do we, do we, is there an amen in the house? Can you see how beautiful this is? You see, the rapture of the church is the bridegroom coming for the bride. He said he will come. He will come for those that have already died, 
They will rise first and get their glorified bodies and then we who are still alive will then join in the air. This is the point at which the groom comes for his bride. And I tell you something, if that doesn't get you excited, ah, if that doesn't get you worshipping Jesus, isn't that so beautiful? You know, I said that the the groom would typically take a year to uh, prepare a place. Well, 2,000 years thus far, can you imagine the type of place that he's building for us? Well, actually, we don't have to guess. We read about it later, and we're going to look at that. The type of home that that has been prepared for each one of us. A wonderful place where no thief can rob, no rust can destroy. It is an eternal place. It is yours forever to be with the groom. And indeed, all of your family and friends around you. You know, we're going to look at what heaven is at the end of this series because I have to say we have, unfortunately, a measly view of heaven. At best, we think it is a place that we float around on clouds with harps, I've got to tell you, it's so much more wonderful than that. It's an exciting. So you see, there we see, what is the rapture of the church? It's a, a point at which in time that will happen where we will be snatched up, where Jesus receives us in the air. We've looked at how that so perfectly reveals the love that Jesus has for his church, his bride. And I want to move on to the third question, which is then, okay, where does this fit into the the, the events of the end times? Because one of the main conversations, most biblical scholars will will not disagree on the rapture of the church. It is a biblical event. Um, But there are some that will say, that uh, the rapture won't happen until after the seven-year tribulation period that we read in Revelation. And as I said, next week we will look at that in a bit more detail. And some say in the middle, by the way, as well. Either mid-trib, mid, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. <laughs> now, can I just say at this point, there are godly men and women who believe in a, in a post-tribulation. You know, it's not a salvation issue. You know, and um, we don't want to have arguments but, but can I say, having studied this for, for a very, very long time, and, and I've studied both sides, I have to say that it is my utter conviction, along with many other pastors and biblical scholars, by the way, this is not a niche view, pre-tribulation is not, um, that not only does Scripture clearly show a pre-tribulation rapture, which I'm going to show you in a moment, but it is also in line with the very character of God, and I'm going to show you that as well. But you see, I think in order for us to understand how it is a pre-tribulation rapture, in other words, how it happens before the seven-year tribulation period, we need to understand what the tribulation is. And while I go into detail next week, very briefly, let's look at Revelation 6, 15 to 17. It says this, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Listen, they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from, listen, the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? You see, the tribulation is the wrath and judgment of an almighty God upon a world who has rejected him. Listen, 
Let's not beat about the bush. It is going to be a most terrible time. We read that a quarter of the world dies, a third of the sea is turned to blood, a third of fresh water is contaminated, etc., etc. And isn't it interesting in this scripture, it says, from the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb, we often talk about the Lamb that was slain for us. It's the same Jesus. It's the same God. You know, it's not like, God is not a God of judgment, and he, you know, he was a judgment in the Old Testament, and then he forgot about that in the New Testament. No, in fact, the very reason that Jesus died on the cross was to take the judgment of God upon him, so that we who believe in Jesus do not receive that judgment. Let me just say here, it was the Lamb who was slain for the whole of mankind, Jesus gave his life for the sins of the world. And what happened? They crucified him. And since that day, the world has rejected him and cursed him and kicked him and blasphemed his name. And he has taken it and he has taken it and he has been patient in mercy and in love. But there will come a point where he will judge the nations of the earth. But even through the seven-year tribulation period, which we'll read about, before Jesus' second coming, you see, we often think of Jesus' second coming as one event. There's the rapture of the church, then there's a seven-year tribulation, and then we come down with Jesus at the second coming, and we'll look at that next week. But even through that seven years, we know that many people come to faith. The mercy of God is still extended in that time. And so, therefore... If we understand that the tribulation is the wrath of God, see, some people say, but Jesus said you'll have many trials and tribulations. Yes, he did. But he's referring to persecution. He's referring to the troubles of this sin-filled world. He is not talking about his very wrath and judgment upon the world. You know, we can look at this, actually, this model, in, in two other occasions where God poured his wrath upon the world. Let's look at Lot. We, read, we can read about this in Luke 17. Jesus rescued Lot and, Lot and his wife from Sodom and Gomorrah, and the point at which they then left, his judgment came upon Sodom. It's the same with Noah and his family. God rescued Noah and his righteous family, and then at the point at which he took them out, his judgment came upon the world. It is the same here, the pre-tribulation rapture is where God takes us out, rescues us before his wrath. Why? Because we're his bride. Let, we've, I've got two scriptures to show you this. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, listen to, to this, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Does he rescue us to go through the wrath? No, from, just like with Lot, just like with Noah. What about 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11? Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape the tribulation. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. 
You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and be sober. That's what we looked at last week. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Listen to this. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Can I just ask you a question? Would you be encouraged if I told you, hey guys, guess what? Uh, God's coming to you, but uh, yeah, you're going to have to suffer his wrath first. What kind of message of hope is that? Can I encourage you with that? I don't think so. But there's many other scriptures, just a couple more. Um, because I want to make sure that you are encouraged by the pre-tribulation rapture. Revelation 3.10, God speaking to Sardis, the church, says, I will keep you from the hour of testing that is to come upon the whole inhabitants of the earth. Talking about the tribulation. And also if you read Revelation, the church is talked about up until Revelation chapter 6. And then from 6 onwards, there is no mention of the church. But we have a mention of is the tribulation saints, those that become Christians during the tribulation period. I could go on with many other scripture references. I hope that uh, this has helped bring some clarity, but let me just end with this. And I talked about it's in line with the character of God. You see, the groom doesn't say to you, I loved you, and I've paid the price for you with my very own blood. And I'm going to go to my father's house and prepare a place for you. But, oh, just to let you know, um, before that happens, uh, yeah, you're going to have to suffer my punishment. What? Doesn't feel right, does it? He doesn't save his bride only to punish her. No. He rescues her before the wrath and the judgment upon the world. It is in line with his story, his love story of redemption to those that call upon his name. You know, many questions arise, uh, and we haven't got time to go into all of them. If you have any questions, why don't you email me? Um, and at the end of the series, I'm going to put together some resources for you all uh, that uh, will help. But, um, you know, one of the common questions is, well, what about my children? That's, that's a good question. You know, yes, your children will, will join you in the rapture, um, you know, up until the age of accountability, the point at which. Now, do we know what age that is? The scriptures don't say, but can I just be really clear? Heaven uh, is filled with children and unborn babies. You know, hell doesn't have children and babies in it. So yes, your young children will be with you. You know, it wouldn't be an encouraging word. I mean, Paul says, encourage one another. If, you know, can you imagine? You know, you're going to head up, go up there, but your kids, no. I want you to be encouraged and reassured by that. So let us just move on to the end then. I hope, by the way, that this word has just really encouraged your heart, lifted your eyes to 
a God who so loves you that paid the price for you. And so what does it mean for us now? Number one, there's two things. First was get ready for him. Don't let your oil burn out, as Jesus said. And I mean, Jesus talked about this in the parable of the ten virgins. Keep your affections onto him. You know, it could be any time. Nothing needs to happen before the rapture. It's called the doctrine of imminence. It is imminent. There are things that need to happen as we head into the tribulation period. And we, we've seen the, 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 the birth pains, but then there is... And we see the signs for the end times, and I'll look at that a little bit more next week. But the rapture will happen before the tribulation, but there are no signs for it. I guess a good way of describing it, and I appreciate this is a, a US analogy, but it's helpful nevertheless, is that, you know, uh, in America, um, as is in this country, you start seeing the signs of Christmas, don't you? Uh, very early on, what, September, October, I think I've seen some already. Um, and you head, and as you approach Christmas, more and more signs come up. But all of a sudden, without even realizing, Thanksgiving comes upon them in the US. There's no signs for the Thanksgiving, but you know that the closer you get to Christmas, that the closer you get to Thanksgiving. And it is the same with the rapture. It could happen like that. And you know, I long to be with the Lord. It says in the scriptures that a crown of righteousness awaits those that long for his return. Did you know that? You know, Paul says to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, quite frankly, you know, I'd rather be with, with my Jesus, my Savior, had it been for the fact that I know that there is fruit from my labor here. You know, that homesick feeling that you can't quite understand what that is, that's a longing for your, for your groom. <laughs> Stoke up the fire of longing in your heart. You know, interestingly enough, one of the prophetic words that I'm seeing fulfilled in this very day is what's talked about in 1 Peter 3. And it says, in the end times, people will scoff, saying, he is not coming. Everything has been the same, generation on generation. And I would say that we are increasingly hearing this, not just from non-Christians, but even Christians. No, it's just going to go on and on. That actually is a fulfillment of prophecy. <laughs> Let us not be a scoffer. Let us wait with our lamps burning for our groom who is going to come and be encouraged and comforted that even though, as I looked at last week, the world is heading in a particular direction, we are not destined for wrath, as I read to you, that our groom, Jesus, is going to rescue us and snatch us away. But lastly, as I end, number two, how do we respond? Let us be caught away. Let us be received unto Jesus while we're doing the Father's business. You know, I said last week that this is a season where he's calling his bride, his church, to be holy, to be set apart for him. I absolutely believe that. He's reviving his church, but he's also awakening those who have yet to know him. The conversations people have in the, have in the openness to Jesus, the questions about what is this life? You know, I have had non-Christians say to me, I don't know what's going on, but something's up in this world. Have you had that kind of conversation? I want to be raptured at the, while I'm still preaching. I preach every week thinking this could be my last preach. But we should be doing the Father's business. And that, what does that mean? It means spreading the good news in word and in deed about Jesus. That Jesus has paid the penalty. He took on the wrath and judgment of God in order that we can have eternity with a God who loves us. But let's also pray for those who don't know yet Jesus, people in your family. I think with the scoffing that 
yeah, Jesus isn't going to come back anytime soon. We kind of get lazy and we, we, we don't realize the urgency. Hey, listen, even if uh, we're not raptured tomorrow, the day after, whenever, you know, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And lastly, let's continue to be the salt and the light. What is that? The salt preserves, it holds back decay. That is the, what the church does. It extends God's kingdom. And we are the light, the good news of Jesus. Well, bless you all. I want to end with this. Um, if you're listening to me, watching me, whether it be Sunday morning or catch up, and you haven't said yes to Jesus, you haven't yet made a choice to, to Jesus, then I've got to say today is the day of salvation. You know, the good news is that you don't need to go through the wrath of God. You don't need to receive that judgment. But, you, but Jesus took that for you that you can spend eternity with him. And if you want to say yes to Jesus, this is your moment, then raise your hand. You can do that. On the chat, one of our prayer team would love to pray with you. But it's not difficult. What does it mean to say yes to Jesus? It means admit that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We're just saved by grace. And number two, believe that Jesus died and rose again. And lastly, just confess Jesus is Lord. It's not difficult. Well, bless you all. Um, I'm going to pray quickly and then I'll end. Lord, I want to thank you that we do not need to be scared and unprepared for what's coming up, that rather than wonder and guess, you have been so clear to us in your word as to what our blessed hope is, that, Lord, you love us and you have gone to prepare a place for us and that you are coming back for your bride, that you would place us on that chair as they did in their wedding ceremony and lift us up as you take us to be with you. I pray for each one of us, Lord, that that word would bear fruit in our hearts, that we would be encouraged, that it would fill us with joy, but equally, Lord, that we would recognize, Lord, the, the urgent business of spreading the good news. Would you help us? Would you equip us? And while we speak to family and friends, some, some may scoff, Lord, give us the boldness and courage to say, this is what God says. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless each one of us this week. Would your face shine upon us? Would you be gracious towards us? And would we know your perfect peace, I ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Listen, we're going to end the service now. Um, you're going to see in the chat window words of knowledge. Um, the, 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 the amazing prayer teams that meet every Sunday uh, have sought God and they have a list of ailments. We have healings every week. So if any of those resonate with you, if you were here in the building, I'd say my, my right, your left. But actually it's, uh, I think, my left, your right <laughs> to confuse things. And the team would love to pray. May the Lord bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.